You're listening to episode 16 of the Divine Nobody's Podcast. Sing along with me, Jen. You know the song. When you hear the words. You know the song, right? You've heard it enough times. Oh my God, I hear it in my dreams. Here we go. Boom, we're back. Divine Nobody's Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Ajna. I'm joined by a very, very talented woman. She can actually solve a Rubik's Cube in under 20 seconds. <laughs> the only person that I know that I can actually astral project and take her body with her. Joined by my co-host, Jennifer Lim. <laughs> Jen, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be back. Just you and I in the studio this time. Yeah, blinded by our new ring light. Exactly. Blinded by the <laughs> new ring light. It's crazy how much it changes. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you guys are on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Stay up to date on our most recent episodes. And uh, we'll continue posting them. It's good to be back. Yeah. It's good to be back. We had a couple rounds of just um, interviews. And Jameson was a fantastic guest to have in. Learned a lot from Always him. Always love having Jameson. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good to be back. And um, we're here doing it. Yeah. We're here doing it. Yeah. How was your weekend? Um, it was good. I was a little bummed though, because this is Burning Man week. So this That's is right. Yeah. So this is a time that I would be in Burning Man. That's true. This is, this is the only time you well, haven't gone, right? Well, you went the previous year before? Yeah. And the year before that and the year before that and the year before that. So yeah. Oh, so how many years total have you gone so far? Uh, five, five, wow. four or five, how many, four or five. Oh. I lose track, but yeah. That's so great. I have a lot of friends that actually go to Burning Man and I know that they, uh, have been sort of conditioned to that experience because uh, every good story that they tell always starts with, hey, when I was at Burning, Burning Man. Man. <laughs> you ever right. go through that whole thing? Yes, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I've heard a lot of really amazing stories from my friends that have actually attended there and I still have yet to go, right? So how does it feel not being able to participate this year? Um, empty, really? you know? Yeah, I feel like Your a piece of- feels empty. Yeah, my heart feels empty. I feel like a piece of my life is missing. It's crazy. Right. Is it true that if it, with Burning Man, um, cause I know it is sort of like the lottery system that happened every year, right? Uh, it like it's a pain in the ass to get tickets. Close to impossible to do it. Is yeah. it true that if you parachuted in to Burning Man that they let you stay for free? That's what I hear. And I do have a skydiving license. So believe me, I did consider it. You have a skydiving license? Yeah, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know Oh uh, yeah, I have like 2000 jumps. No shit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really? And I used to base jump too. That is really interesting. How long, how long have you been doing that for? Oh no, I did that in my, in my twenties, like really? that was years ago, but yeah. So your skydiving yeah. days are over. My skydiving days are over. Yeah. Yeah. I had a couple close calls base jumping and yeah. um, base jumping is a little bit different. Skydiving, super safe, like yeah. no problem. You have a backup parachute. Mm -hmm. Even if something happens, you're going to be all right. Um, but base jumping, like, you know, it's, not as high, you're really mm. low, you only have one parachute. Even yeah. if you did have two, you would splat on the ground before you had a chance to pull it anyway. So yeah. yeah. When so, I was when I was younger, I used to kind of struggle with it. I, I didn't like the idea of doing it because of all the the possibilities of of just user error and things going wrong. Mm -hmm. And then this idea that like this this parachute, this cloth that is I mean, I, I imagine the person that's responsible for packing these shoots. Oh has yeah. a really large responsibility for the lives of other people because I just think of that it's such a delicate thing that what happens if it doesn't open up? So yeah, what happens if it if it doesn't open up is you have a reserve, like if you're skydiving, you can pull yeah. your reserve and you're gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. Um you also have an altimeter, so it's it's like a little computer and you're on your back that reach your altitude. So even if somebody knocked you out, like somebody kicked you while you were in a skydive with another person and it yeah. knocked you out, um, if you got too low, it would deploy your second shoot for yeah. you. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you're obviously, if you're knocked out, you're not gonna be steering your parachute. So you're probably gonna hit a tree or, you know, right. smack the ground, but it won't be nearly as bad as a free fall. So, yeah. so from your experience, yeah. just walk me through the, the that whole process because it's something that I still, um, want to do one day and uh -huh. it's on that sort of that list of a hundred things that we wanted to oh, do yeah, that bucket awesome. list thing, yeah. which is the skydiving as I get older. I think it's also because of my fear of death, just sort of like slowly diminishing over time. Yeah. And I know that it is a very beautiful experience. It yeah. is very liberating. If uh, I feel like skydiving is something that everybody should do at least one time, Yeah. you know, um, I say that about a few things, um, but skydiving is definitely on the list of like the top five things that mm. everybody should do. It's very liberating, very freeing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, after your first skydive, you feel like you can just do anything. Yeah. So especially for somebody that struggles with like issues with confidence, like right. go skydive and you'll feel like you can conquer the world. Yeah. And I think I've seen like shows where, where people, they, they overcome really large fears doing things like that. So yeah. when I think of like that free fall, I just think of like the tallest roller coaster at like Six Flags where you get that feeling in your stomach of falling. Mm-hmm. Does it just feel that way all the way down? Uh, no, no. And um, it doesn't feel like that at all, actually, yeah. um, because the plane is moving forward. So yeah. whenever you jump out, the plane's moving forward at, you know, whatever, 120 miles an hour. Yeah. So whenever you jump out, you're bleeding off that forward speed. So you oh. never feel like you're falling. You never have that oh. roller coaster stomach in your throat feeling. Oh. Now, when you base jump, you do have that feeling because mm-hmm. you're at a standstill and right. it's your body. You're feeling your body accelerate. I see. Um, but whenever you jump out of a plane, you don't feel your body accelerate because it's like out of the frying pan and mm-hmm. into the fire. You know what I mean? Next time you're up there though, I imagine you'll probably skydive at least some point in the future. Do me a favor and try and tell try and tell me if the, the earth seems flat to you. It's definitely not flat. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not flat. Yeah. Um, Those crazy people, man. Yeah. And and you know, there's, there was actually like a flat earth panel, um, back at lighting in a bottle. I think it was like 2015. And Mm -hmm. I obviously don't believe that the earth is flat. No. Cause how do you explain the curvature of the earth? Right. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So all, every picture that we have from NASA and every satellite and the in the world is fake. I mean, yeah, come on guys. Yeah. Like the, the government takes forever to do everything, yeah. including process things like taxes and mail out, you know, driver's licenses from the DMV. Like how could they possibly cover that up? Right. No, they're not I that agree. good. I agree. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're not that good. <laughs> yeah. So when you did the skydiving thing, when you jumped out, did you always jump out with people? Was there a lot of other people? Yeah. Um, so you want to wait until the plane's full um, mm. and it has a full load before they'll take everybody up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you jump out like one by one or you can jump out in a group if you're doing like a group skydive um, or, you know, with one other person. So there's different mm-hmm. disciplines of skydiving. So there's yeah. people who belly fly who you know, go on their stomach. And then there's people that go like a sit fly or head down. And whenever you're in those positions, you fall a lot faster. Yeah. So, um, those people are usually the last people out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the belly flyers will like go first cause they're a little bit slower. I'd be like one of those people that like, or the reverse. Sorry. I had the backwards. Yeah. I, I would, I would want to land in like a, someplace maybe towards Northern Cal and like Bakersfield where there's nothing in sight. And yeah. I want to like get a troop of people and I'll dress up in like animal onesies or something. Yeah. And then like bring like a kitchen table out there and do that <laughs> whole, like pretending like we're having tea together. Oh my gosh. That would be so fucking hard. <laughs> Cause they get pretty creative with those things, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, so, um, my home, I guess, uh, my home base jumping site in Houston was called skydive space lane. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's where I did my first jump and, and, uh, was trained there. It was, it was actually super fun, but my dad has a, um, valve machine shop that mm-hmm. is down the street from the drop zone. Yeah. So, um, when people land off, they land off and at my dad's like company and mm-hmm. he'll put them in his truck and take them back to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to the drop zone if they happen to land off. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was a, that was a huge part of my life, um, at that time, but yeah. I got to the point where I just wasn't scared of skydiving anymore yeah. and you don't want to be to the point where you're not scared anymore. There right. still needs to be like a little bit of fear. Right. Um, but the even second you get comfortable, right, right. Is when shit goes wrong. Um, yeah. and I've had stuff go wrong and you were talking about like having your, having your shoot packed. Um, yeah. there were certain people cause I didn't pack my own shoot. It's exhausting yeah. to fold it up and pack it up. You have to have a lot of arm strength. Um, and just be strong in general be, because you're getting a giant ass parachute and a tiny ass backpack, oh, you know, yeah. I, I can't even fold my clothes when I take them out of the dryer. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I imagine that it's very precise when it comes to how it needs to be folded. Right? For sure. And there's packers that are way better than others that are a lot more precise and fold in a certain way that, mm-hmm. um, that you just have easy openings. Mm-hmm. So you would find your person that you liked and you had to pay them. It's $10, um, per like pack job. Yeah. So if you're doing, you know, uh, I don't know, 
five to 10 jumps in a day, you know, it gets expensive because your jumps are like 50 bucks a jump or unless you buy a big package, they're like 25. Um, but then in addition to having somebody pack for you. So a lot of skydivers pack themselves. Um, but I didn't pack myself cause I'm a sloppy packer. (laughs) So (laughs) sloppy packer. Yeah. I'm a sloppy packer. Oh my gosh. That should be like your tagline on your Instagram. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. It's like, feels like a whole nother world now. Now I'm pushing 40 in. And, you know, that was like 20 years ago. It's fucking crazy to think about that. So there's obviously a lot of different things that go through somebody's mind when it comes to skydiving. Obviously, people have a huge fear of it. Yeah. So how did you feel once you obviously approached it, stepped up to the plate with that fear? And then once you finished the skydive, how did that feel? How did that change your relationship to fear? Um, That's a great question. I feel like I was not afraid during my first skydive. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't have fear almost yeah. at all. I was actually super relaxed, which was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first base jump, I was very mm-hmm. scared. And um, just because there's there's such a high risk of death, like mm-hmm. if something goes wrong, you are going like you're, right. <laughs> shit's going down. It's yeah. not gonna be good, yeah, you know? Gonna... Um, so uh, with base jumping, it needs to be like 100% precise and 100% accurate. You need to be really focused like the yeah. whole nine. So, um, that changed base jumping really did change my relationship to fear and my relationship to death because I got kind of close to dying a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you know, now I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. But another reason why I don't skydive or base jump anymore, because I just don't have enough fear. Oh, Does that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. And I imagine it. I mean, I've read things and I've spoken to people that I've skydived some friends that are also some burner friends and they love doing stuff like that. And I asked them that same question. Um, you know, what goes to your mind through an experience like that? And they're like, the fear is something that they typically only feel when they're in the plane. Mm-hmm. But the second you jump out of the plane, it all just disappears. Yeah. Like the, the present moment takes over you so intensely that you're not even, you're not even in that, that sort of mind frame to even think about it. You know what I mean? Because there's, there's, there's something, and I imagine this is the reason why people like it so much is because you have to be 100% present with that experience. Right. You're not thinking about anything else. That's for sure. And that is almost, I feel like can be looked at as a form of meditation. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I never thought of it uh, in my twenties. I wasn't meditating. So yeah, yeah, I didn't even know what, what meditation was. <laughs> so yeah. yeah so so you were meditating I before was, you even thought you were meditating before I even thought before I even knew. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all different ways and forms that people meditate. And I imagine those people that jump out of those things, like it's probably very therapeutic for them too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are some aspects to it. I haven't done um, uh, parachuting and things like that, but I've had experiences through astral projection that felt like a free fall. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. That, that you feel that sort of butterfly in your stomach. And I, the biggest question I had is like, does it feel that way all the way through? Because there's this parts of it that are kind of unbearable, especially when a roller coaster and you're like, Oh shit. And yeah. It's just like completely takes you over. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe we should go, maybe we should go, uh, try it. Yeah. I, you know, I am, I haven't thought about it in a long time. I used to have dreams about it um, all the time, but I haven't thought about skydiving in a lot of years. So I saw that video one time. I think it was like a Red Bull commercial where they had that guy like skydiving from space. Yes. That was crazy. Yes. That was when I saw that, I was like, no fucking way. Yeah. Right. That's because you can see the blackness of space around him. Yeah. And he's just free falling all the way through. I just I can't mean, even. Imagine how much precision is involved in order to make that happen. Oh, my gosh. And and they had to account for how long he would be passed out, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's so crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, passing out and then waking up and you're still in fucking space free falling? Oh, what? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's crazy. I've had a few experiences exactly like that, but they weren't actually <laughs> free falling. Yeah. Might as well have been though, but astral projection, I feel like is, is probably the closest that I come. And then also, um, through some sort of channeling work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But there was something that I was actually, um, reading about the other day. And I think we actually, me and Jen were talking about it before the podcast, which is something that I feel like has a lot of mystery behind it. And I think at the very core, um, the people that have brought it to light more so than anybody else, I think is this theosophy society and the Egyptians. Yeah. The Egyptians. Yeah, absolutely. Which is the Akashic records, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The Akashic records, the Akashic records. So if anybody that's listening, you guys are 
interested in the Akashic Records. I mean, there's a, a huge movement around it. If you're in part of the, the spiritual New Age community, you've probably heard it around. There's also people, healers out there that you um, can visit with and share some space with. Um, more often than not, you'll find psychics that have this type of dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Where you essentially, you're able to access this sort of field, right? This, yeah. this, this, this data sphere. Yeah. Of information. Right. And everybody has it in common, right? Yeah. Past, present, future, every thought, intent, feeling, action, word, mm -hmm. whatever. It's all it's all there happening at the same time. Yeah, at the same time. It's, it's not a linear thing. Akashic, actually, the Sanskrit is a Sanskrit word, which means ether, mm -hmm. right? So it can basically be equated to just space, Yeah. right? And the way that I see it, I try and I try and kind of piece this together in the most practical way that I can because I have um, I, my pendulum sort of swings between the woo woo and between the practical, <laughs> right? But the one thing from my experience in um, after death studies and mm -hmm. um, researching the work of like Raymond Moody and PMH Atwater is that a lot of the people that pass away or people that have near death experiences where they get close it's common for them to have something like a life review. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. for that, oh, yeah. It was in Betty Eady's book, um, Embraced by the Light, where the second you enter into that, that sort of portal where you're shooting down this, but it's different for everybody, but the more common story is that you just, you're just you shooting like this cannon through this portal. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you end up meeting with either a guide or an angel or, or something akin to Jesus Christ. I'm one of those people that looks at a more universal perspective, which is if you're a Christian and you die a Christian and you have an affinity to Jesus um, and you want him, or you expect him to show up at the end of your life, he'll probably show up. He'll be there. Yeah, yeah he'll be there. <laughs> and the same thing, if you're a Buddhist and you have an affinity to, you know, Siddhartha, Gautama, the Buddha, like he'll show up too. Yeah. If you're, you know, if your avatar just happens to be, I don't know, like Bugs Bunny or something, like whoever it is that you you know, that embodies that feeling of peace and that tranquility and that beauty in you. Yeah. I, I, I would love for Alan Watts to show up. Oh, you know, how cool would that be with his little cigar and just kind of has this <laughs> sort of like that the very warm sort of like grandfather laugh. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> I'll say something like really clever and I'll just sort of like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'd love, love to see Alan Watts. I, if you're listening, um, just, Meet me there, <laughs> Ellen Watts, Judah Krishnamurti, and he's like the, the the cranky like tough love grandfather. Yeah, he's a, he wrote a lot of really really great books, and I hope that he he shows up too. But basically, if whatever you identify in your mind as being God or mm -hmm. having that position of being God, I feel like he will show up at the end of your life yeah. and hold your hand, and that life review happens on the screen of your consciousness. But from my experience reading about it, it's like a three sixty view. Yeah. Right. A lot of people mm -hmm. will liken it to like a psychedelic experience because mm -hmm. in those, in that perspective, like you're seeing things not in a linear way. It's like your complete awareness is filled with this. Mm -hmm. And imagine like seeing your life, every single moment, every single memory in your life happening simultaneously all at once. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what a lot of people, I used to think in the beginning, it was like, okay, they would go in some sequential order where it's like, you start it when you're a kid, you go to when you grow up. Right. You know, from, from what I've read, you it's are, all at once. it's all happening at once. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard for the mind to piece that apart and, and try and make sense of that. Yeah. I, I think because it's the whole free will piece, right? Um, yeah. As we change and we grow, uh, the Akash Akashic records are updated. So it's just like, I'll compare it to the cloud. You know, whenever we save stuff on our computers or on our phones and it goes into the cloud, like, where's the cloud? Yeah. That cloud's full of a lot of information. So this is like the ancient cloud. Yeah, the, exactly. The ancient cloud. And I actually, I, I don't lose I went, your password to that shit. You don't lose your password. I mean, you <laughs> might be able to get a reset. <laughs> Maybe. But you may have to come back again yeah. in order to be able to do it. You got to like reset, resetting your password is basically like the equivalent of like, okay, we'll reset your password, but you got to go through this round again. Oh man. Oh. And it sounds like an arduous experience to us because yeah. we know what it's like to be alive for 30 years, 30 plus years so far. But the second our soul leaves our body and enters into the astral realm, God says, hey, you want to go in again? You're like... Yeah, that wasn't bad. It yeah, because it, it'll seem like a day to <laughs> yeah, you. It'll seem right. like an instant to you. Right. You know, and then when we when we enter into our bodies again, it's like, oh crap, I gotta do like another one hundred years of this. Oh my god, do you remember being a kid 
and feeling it feels like when you're a little kid the days last forever they do forever and now i feel like a day goes by in a blink yeah i think it's because we're we're so present with what we're doing and there aren't there weren't a whole lot of things that were occupying our consciousness back then that's true you know because yeah. I, I like when i'm kind of uh, perceiving my life it's, it's really easy especially when people wake up in the morning it's like okay i have my work over here i have my hobbies over here. I have my girlfriend over here. I have my partner over here and all those occupy spaces in your mind. I think when you're a kid, you're kind of just filled with this sense of like just pure innocence and wonder. And, yeah. you know, there's that, that sort of intrinsic feeling of like that timelessness that it's, it's like that place that we're all looking for. We're looking to return back to as we get older and realize that what it is that we were looking for isn't exactly the way that we wanted that we were expecting. Right. What I find myself doing once I started actually getting into um, studying about the life reviews that happen at the end of life, sometimes I'll have really beautiful moments, right? I'll, I'll, I'll have a beautiful moment. Maybe, maybe I might be with a woman. Maybe I might be with friends having a good time. Mm -hmm. And I'll look up at the sky as if I'm looking at myself watching the life review of me. Whoa. Right. That's cool. Because you're, you're creating that sort of like that, that that note to yourself mm -hmm. so at the end of my life and I'm that going imprint to that, it's that like imprint and then with the end of back. my life when i'm going to life review i'm gonna look at me and just gonna go gotcha. yeah gotcha i see you <laughs> you know what i'm saying i love that yeah yeah doing things for for sort of like futuristic type of outcome yeah you know but like yeah it. so the the akashic records a lot of these people that go to these life reviews see their whole life and where does that come from I feel that it comes from the Akashic records. Yeah. Right. So Edgar Casey, um, they called him the sleeping prophet. He was probably the most, the 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 most obvious one, the one that people know of more than anybody else. Uh, he would go into these trans-like states, and uh, aside of just giving people readings about health and wellness, mm -hmm. he also was able to access this place. And what he likened it to was basically just like this data sphere of information, like this archive. Right. It's like this huge ass bookshelf. Like a giant ass library. A giant ass library that like contains not even just your life all the way up until this point. It also contains every probable outcome of where your actions may lead you. Mm -hmm. It contains, you know, every past life you've ever had. And just like you said, it's not something that's linear. It's all happening at once, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. everything that you do down to taking one step forward or one step back or like, you know, anything gets recorded in this. Yeah. Right. And he developed ways of going to this trans-like state and accessing this information in order to give people information about who they were in their past lives, the type of work that they have to do. And as far as I understand, there's a lot of really amazing information that we can learn about ourselves there. Oh, the for sure. The question is, well, how do we get there? How do we get there? Yeah. You know? And there's lots of famous people. Uh, Einstein um, was definitely a believer of the Akashic Records. He thought that everything happened in the quantum field through quantum waves. Mm -hmm. And that's where we could access our consciousness. Yeah. So he it's thought that he claimed that he received his ideas for his inventions and, um, and the theory to, of relativity just like came into his mind out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what he said. It just like popped in. Yeah. And, um, it makes you kind of wonder about ideas that just pop in your head. Right. Have, has this ever happened to you? Do it you does. just have like a, I mean, I mean not like, like a, a nine, not, not the theory of relativity, but right, can you right. imagine some shit like that popping in your head? Well, yeah, it's like when we talked about before, when we talked about on a few, a few episodes so far, it's like when you have dreams about people you've never seen before, yeah, but somehow in the dream world, they're very, plays very specific roles. Right. And same thing with, uh, and I, I, I agree, I've had experiences like that where it's like, well, why do people have more of an affinity to very specific things? Mm -hmm. People are like, well, maybe it's from their father. Okay, great. That's fine. You, you, you're inheriting a certain type of energy that wasn't initially part of you, but is, is actually a part of you. And the same thing when it comes to, um, some people are just able to paint really well, or some people are good singers. It's like, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that practice, you know, 24 hours a day at their craft and they still don't have it in them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they try it, but there are some people that just have the grace of knowing how to do something. Didn't you tell me, weren't, I think it was you that told me a story about someone that you know that um, 
that went blind or went deaf. I can't remember, lost one of their senses and then came back and was like an amazing painter. Yeah. Yeah. Actually really, really amazing woman. She actually hosts a podcast called Deja Blue podcast. Her name's Mm -hmm. um, Charlotte. And um, we'd been friends for many, many years. And when I actually first met her, she, she is a, an extremely powerful woman. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of wisdom to share. And um, I, I do believe that she's had several past lives in these sort of positions of uh, being a teacher and being a healer. Mm-hmm. So when I had first met her, it was during like a, like a, a Christmas sort of gathering years ago. So this is probably 2015 or so. And she uh, was telling me a story about how she was going deaf. Mm-hmm. Right. And I knew right away because when she would talk, she would pay attention to my lips. That's how she, um, you know, communicated with other people. Right. And uh, she could still hear, but it was very difficult for her. And uh, she had um, a psychedelic experience uh, with DMT. Mm-hmm. Right. And she came back from that experience. Uh, well, first, just backtrack a little bit. She wasn't really a painter or an artist okay. before. And when she came back from this experience, she was suddenly compelled to pick up a paintbrush and actually start painting things. Mm-hmm. And so she did. And she makes some of the most beautiful artwork that I've ever seen, especially wow. I've ever seen for somebody that didn't spend their entire lives doing it. It's like she came back from this place, just like Neo in the Matrix, and was like, oh, and I... I Got this download. Now I know Kung Fu. Like now she knew how to paint just after this one experience. Yeah. And if you've seen some of this art, it's amazing. Yeah. Like it's unbelievably beautiful. Like how do you explain that? Right. You know? Well, I mean, I, I think that what that what that says to me is that the ability to predict or access Akashic records or to do anything that is mystical has nothing to do with our traditional five senses, right? Right. So there's that reminds me of a story of and i'm going to butcher her name um uh baba vanga she's like the female nostradamus in um bulgaria sounds right, sounds right to me yeah okay well i'm just going to go with it because i think that's how you say her name um so uh in and around in the 1920s there was a tornado and she was picked up by this tornado and um as a child and lived in a very poor bulgarian village didn't read, didn't write. This is in the twenties, you know, Mm -hmm. and she woke up, um, left for dead. Her parents found her and her eyes were full of sand. And, um, she went blind from the sand that was in her eyes. So after she went blind, um, she started having these like super enhanced visions and was able to access Akashic records. And, um, because of that, she, she predicted a lot of like, major things that happened. Yeah. Um, 9-11, the Chernobyl explosion, um, Stalin. I mean, she, just, she, yeah. she knew all of it. Yeah, she knew all of it. So um, it's really interesting to me that somebody who, you know, wasn't literate, there was no TV or radio back in that time where she could have accessed any of this information, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she's world famous for, you know, uh, accessing Akashic records and, and making these predictions. Yeah. So... Yeah. Similar yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a few other people that I had read um, that sort of embodied that same sort of dynamic when it came to, I guess, their experience with the Akashic Records, the Egyptian deity Thoth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was responsible for creating the Emerald Tablets. He's the guy with the, with the bird. Exactly. Bird face. Exactly. And you can actually still go online and, and read those tablets. And it's very much akin to something that we would read in New Age spirituality. So a lot of his, what influenced his practice were the Akashic Records. So a few other people, there was this guy named Alfred Percy Sinet. Um, he studied esoteric Buddhism and he kind of came across that field in 1883. And then Dr. Irving Lasmo, he, he was a, he's an astrophysicist, kind of mm-hmm. along the same vein as Albert Einstein. And he was starting, uh, starting to research um, just quantum mechanics and he came up with quantum zero point energy, which was also discovered by Albert Einstein. And they both looked at it as sort of like this data sphere. So zero point energy is, I I guess if when I'm trying to make sense of this, it's there's no space really, there's no empty space Mm -hmm. in 
the the space that we occupy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think of when they look into the blackness of space that there's sort of like a distance between me and you and somewhere where Mars is. Right. But all everything from the space between me and you is filled with information. Like those dimensions that exist, like three, four, five, six, seven. Most people think of it as like, you know, Earth being on a 3D dimension and then we sort of ascend into, you know, the ether or mm-hmm. the firmament and somehow those dimensions are up there, but all those dimensions are in the same, this room right now. Right. Right. And they're all happening at once. So at the very smallest, I want to say subatomic particle exists, this sort of like zero point energy. Mm-hmm. And apparently this is uh, where they feel those Akashic records are. Ah, you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go online and there's, there's, you know, obviously lots of different practices and ways in order to access it. I've even actually sat along in a few, did a sound bath a while back um, and a woman came and did a live sort of channeling of the Akashic records while I was doing a sound bath. Whoa, really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. It was, we need to call her. Maybe we can get her on the show. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. yeah. There's a woman, I think her name was Elizabeth Gilbert. I could okay. be butching her name, but I think I sent you that profile of hers a little while ago. And I think we could actually get her on and she does do live channelings. Oh, that'd be cool. The Akashic Records. You know, you were just talking about how Einstein and the other guy mm-hmm. discovered, what was this zero point energy mm-hmm. at the same time? Um, there is a really interesting paper that was written by um, a couple of Columbia professors, um, Dorothy Thomas and William Ogburn. Mm-hmm. It's called Are Inventions Inevitable? So this is a pretty like common phenomena that multiple people discover inventions at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah, but oh on my. opposite ends of the earth that have no knowledge of each other or of each other's work or that anybody else is working Isn't on this. Isn't that like quantum entanglement theory? Yeah, sort of so, uh, so they came up with like 148 instances like that they were comparing of people coming up with the same inventions um, yeah. with no knowledge of each other, yeah. which is really, really interesting and maybe supports the Akashic record theory yeah. that, you know, uh, our inventions inevitable if that person, you yeah. know, didn't bring it to light or mm-hmm. are they spreading these records around so other people could yeah. advance our society? It I seems, don't know. It, it seems to me, because the, the biggest question that comes when it comes to how to access the Akashic records is one is how do you do that? Yeah. And we were talking about Charlotte um, a few minutes ago and it makes me think of Helen Keller. Do you remember Helen Keller? Yeah. So I've read actually a few of her books. Oh yeah. And she was a, you know, a, a God fearing Christian woman. Yeah. I mean, we know the, the sort of like popular culture's perspective of her, but I read a book. Um, I, I actually don't have it here. I just thought about it right now, but it was a book about her life mm-hmm. and her practice in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right. And she kind of has like a, th- a um, theology sort of perspective a more universalist type of perspective. But the interesting thing about Helen Keller is that she obviously is deaf. Mm-hmm. She's obviously blind. Mm-hmm. And um, she's mute. And she's mute. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I mean, it may not be any consequence to her because she grew up that way. Right. Like she was born that way. Right. For when I think in my mind of like what it would be like to not be able to see or hear, I mean, that would be a very interesting experience for me. Right. Right. But or talk. Or talk. And we, I mean, fortunately for us, we've been blessed with the gift of all those things. But for her, how listening to her talk and the amount of wisdom that she had to share and knowing that this person had never seen a sunset before, she had never, you know, never know what specific things look like. When she would go to sleep and have these dreams, they would be very vivid. Like she was still able to see mm-hmm. just in these different realms. But the, the strength of, I want to say her third eye was probably more pronounced and more polished than ours because she doesn't have any sort of extrasensory thing taking her away from that experience. Right, exactly. Right? So listening, um, um, reading over her book, like she had so much wisdom. She was an am- amazingly intelligent um, teacher, mm-hmm. you know? So I imagine like uh, the one thing that prevents a lot of just regular human beings from accessing it or one, maybe our ideas of what it means to get there and all of the different things that cloud our sort of judgment and our awareness all the time that prevent us from really going deep, mm-hmm. you know, 
Yeah. And um, I think you had some like some steps, right? Some different different yeah different methods that we could share. Um, and this is the thing. Like I feel like we've all anybody that's listening, I guarantee you that all of you at some point have been to this place, whether or not you are cognizant of it. When you sleep and you dream, there's a huge chance that this information that you get is coming from these Akashic records. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So if you've been in dreams and you've run into people that you didn't know, but swear were real, or if you've had visions of the future, or if you've had visions of the past, it could be in your waking state, also in, in the sleep state, chances are, you have been there. I also think that people that do tarot card readings because um, tarot cards and oracle cards are really about the potentiality and the probability of how your current actions are going to affect your immediate future. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the Akashic Records are, right? It's like it'll contain every outcome to whatever moment that we're in, but it's fluid. So it's always constantly changing. Right. But the one thing that I read is that in order to deliberately go into there, you have to sort of like a lot of people do prayers. You have to sort of ask for the permission. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You have to ask the, the permission in order to get there. Yeah. And I, what I love about this is that anybody can access it, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like with a lot of other new age stuff, you have to like jump through hoops and there has to be like some kind of initiation to access this level of knowledge or whatever. That's true. Um, but with the Akashic records, anybody can access them. You just mm-hmm. have to ask for it and meditate on it and and information will be received. Yeah. I feel like there's a, like a, a law of court. Well, actually there's a, the fellow name, uh, Emmanuel Swedenborg and he, he was a, a theologian and theology. I won't get too much into it, but it was basically like the Christian mystery school. And, um, he was basically this scientist and this inventor. And I'll actually share this book with you, Jen, cause I think that you would find it really, really interesting. He wrote this book called heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. And he also, um, um, wrote a few other books. There's actually the Swedenborg Foundation and they have like this arsenal of really amazing books that are based off of this fellow's work. So um, he, he had, he, this is really, really long time ago, but he started as an inventor and a scientist. And then one day he woke up, he was a Swedish, Swedish um, scientist. He woke up and started having these daytime visions of angels coming to him and speaking to him. Oh. Right. And this was somebody that was a skeptic. Yeah. Right? He, he wasn't into this because it wasn't widely accepted in his community, especially in the position that he was in. So he didn't know how to go about trying to interpret this information. So he sort of swept it under the rug, but the angels kept coming to him. And eventually he developed a relationship so strongly with these angels that they allowed him access to heaven. Wow. Right. So that's cool. The whole book of heaven and hell is about a very, very, very specific, um, very detailed account of uh, what he experienced in heaven. So he goes down to what communities are like, um, the distance between human beings, like where um, the type of people we hang out with in heaven, like the way things smell, every possible thing that you can think of. Yeah, he, I'm gonna have to read that. I'm interested. It's different from what other people experience because a lot of human beings, they, they come as a result of a near-death experience. They're like, oh, I was there for five minutes and then Jesus told me I had to go home. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he spent like really large amounts of time there. Wow. And they trusted him. So he goes into what heaven is like, but he also goes in very detailed accounts of what, he, what hell is like. And it's very, very, very different than how we see it, right? And- Is it fire and brimstone? No. No, it's not Friar and Brimstone. The interesting thing about what Emmanuel Swedenborg says is that the people that go to hell choose to be there, but it's mm-hmm. not a sort of Friar and Brimstone thing. It's more of, you know, these people have different types of either addictions or different types of, uh, um, I guess, conditioning that need to be sorted out. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about what he talks about hell is that it's not permanent. Oh. You eventually we'll get to a point you can graduate where you're not, when you don't want to be there anymore and uh, you can exit out of there. Oh, cool. So it's not, it's not a permanent thing. Oh, right. Okay. And even back then when they wrote the Bible, like people didn't have really a perspective of what eternity, eternity meant because yeah. no one's ever experienced it before. Right. So the only thing that they can think of is, oh, okay, well you're going to burn in hell for eternity. But what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean in, from the perspective of God? Because, uh, you one you, you can't have an experience of, of of nothing in the way that some people that believe that sort of fire and brimstone thing go. But um, Emmanuel Swedenborg just talks about like it's a choice. People that go there go there for a certain period of time, 
And then they wake up and realize maybe their divinity inside. And then they just find their way out. Wow. That's you know very interesting. Mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to read that. Yeah, I'm you should. I'll, 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 I'll send it over to you. Um, yeah. The reason why I, I, I brought up Emanuel Swedenborg is, you know, he also uh, talked a lot about the Akashic records. Ah, okay. You know, very cool. So all these different people that, and, and he was also an inventor too, you know. Can you imagine having Archangel Michael as your homie? And it's right. like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Right? He's like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> Want to come to heaven? Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like always there, right? I, I imagine like, he, because he's like a multidimensional, he can be in probably a million different places at once. Mm-hmm. I, I, I More often than not, he's probably looking at me like, I mean, always like, I can't, I can maybe see him with my third eyes looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Cause I feel like I can can feel the presence of angels around me um, a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. And there are some people also go through this too, where they see, they find feathers on the ground just randomly. I found a feather on the ground the other day. I meant to tell you and I forgot to tell you that. Yeah. That means your angels are nearby. It doesn't even have to just be Michael though. It could be like, Archangel Gabriel, Uriel, Uriel, yeah. or all the different Raphael, mm-hmm. you know, but they say that if you find um, like a feather on the ground, it means your angels are nearby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I found, uh, we went to um, uh, Catalina and I was walking and I stopped and I was on my phone and I, you know, was looking at my phone, but could also see the ground and I saw a feather there. I picked it up. Yeah. I was like, I hope it doesn't have lice. I put it in my hat. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder like, because um, there's this sort of debate about like, well, angels at some point were human. Mm-hmm. And if they have the ability to help you navigate through this sort of worldly existence, then they have to have an understanding of what emotions feel like and what the human experience is. So I wonder if they're hanging out with us, if they have preferences, like, do they listen to Bob Moses? And do they listen to that song? And they're just like, oh, I yeah, fucking love that I song. I love that song. That's a great song. They're like, why did you turn that song off? I wasn't finished listening. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they get pissed along with me when I like, I don't know if you go through this, but like when you're driving in your car and you have your GPS on GPS lady has impeccable timing. Let mm-hmm. me tell you, because oh, yeah. she always tells you to turn right at the best parts of every song. Oh yeah. Every you know time. Every single time. Yeah. Every time. Every single time. It's like you, you're that, that chorus comes and you're getting ready to hear and you're like amped up. And then like, she's like, turn right, turn right here. <laughs> Just totally interrupts it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. if the angels are on the other side. They're just like, damn, GPS lady. <laughs> I was there actually in a car with a friend um, a while back. It's my friend Jessica, and she had the GPS on because we were trying to get somewhere in LA. And the GPS lady kept um, talking to her. She's like, turn right here. And she was ignoring it. And I don't know if you noticed this, but if you start ignoring the GPS lady and you take the wrong turn, she becomes uh, angry. Yeah. She becomes increasingly more frustrated with yeah. you like, turn right here and then it goes to another recording it's like turn right now yeah turn there. right now you turn yeah you turn yeah. and i remember jessica like actually speaking to the car she's like don't tell me how to live my life <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i'm sick of you yeah yeah so i wonder what what, what they i mean they have to have a sense of humor obviously right oh for sure yeah they obviously they they're they're there in they're probably some of the most compassionate, compassionate beings alive. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, otherwise they'd be telling you what to do too. So, you know, we talked about that a few episodes back about asking for their help. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. Yeah. You and know? I didn't even know you were supposed to. Yeah. So I, that's one of, that's on the list of things to do if you're, if you're trying to access the Akashic records is um, to clearly state your intention and request that any guides, whether you know them or not, to assist you. Yeah. And um, I, you know, we had a conversation about this with asking angels for help. Thank I you. thought, you know, they're with you all the time. Can't they see that I'm struggling? I'm in distress. Yeah. Like that's a sign. Help. Right, I need help. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, apparently you have to ask for it. It's that yeah. whole free will thing. Because because to them, whether or not it's good or it's bad, it's still good. Yeah. Because they're like, okay, if you're getting something that you want, obviously you did the work in order to get that. But if it's a situation where you're not getting something that you don't want, there's obviously a reason why you don't have it. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. it becomes a question about lack. You know yeah. what I mean? And Absolutely. you actually told me that's we even talked about it today. You saw some angel numbers. You saw one eleven. You saw eleven eleven, and then you also saw twelve 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 today. And that was today. after a conversation that we had. Yeah, 
about three times. Yeah. Yeah. Three times in one day that, that was a first. And that has happened to you before when it came to, I mean, that, that stuff that, uh, I guess happened in the house a while back Yeah, with like those other spirits that were going on. Yeah. The second you asked for help, you started seeing those numbers all over the place. All over. Yeah. yeah. That's an important thing. I feel like if anybody's listening and you want to at least begin your adventure into trying to tap into the Akashic records, you have to more or less kind of ask for help and permission. You're going to have to go through the fourth dimension. And Edgar Casey actually has this account where whenever he would go into the Akashic records, he would always go through this very shadow type of land first because mm-hmm. you have to go through the lower dimensions in order to get there. And trying to hear him explain the different energies there is um, it's very abstract because uh, our minds can't really piece apart exactly what's in those realms. He just says that it doesn't feel very good, it's very mm-hmm. muddy and it's a very confusing place. And there's a lot of like lower dimensional dense energy there, right? So if you're going to take a journey like that, I mean, Edgar Casey was something short of a saint. He probably had the help of many guides, but if you're going to go there. Might as well ask your angels to help you out. For sure. And that's actually, that's also on the list. You're hitting all the stuff on the list. Did you read the list? No, I didn't read the list. So yeah, so that's number that's number five. So if you connect with another being, um, ask their name and, and clarify with them what you're looking for and what your intention is yeah. um, and that you want access to the rec- records in regards to your question because mm. you are taking that same path, right? You're taking that same journey. So it is right. possible that you could run into another being on the way. Right. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I was like, oh shit, I didn't realize that I could run into somebody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even um, Raymond Moody, whenever he would do his astral projections, there was always like different beings in his room. And I, you know, and I think we talked about with that, with that home energy clear, it's like Mm -hmm. the, the, or or even like the grows because she sees a lot of spirits all over the place. Right. They're occupying a lot of our space, Mm -hmm. you know, so once you enter into the astral, not surprised to me that you would see those type of energies there. But when I listen, when I watch like YouTube videos about how to astral project, there's, there's kind of two schools of belief that I, I noticed that are practiced there, which are people that are like, you got to be really careful. Mm-hmm. Otherwise the monsters are going to get you. Right. Right. And they make it seem like, you know, only certain people are equipped to get through that because otherwise you're going to be subject to psychic attack, right? which is a possibility. Absolutely. And I've experienced what that feels like, but if you are somebody that is a loving person, if you know how to just be a a gentle, good and kind person, that means something in the astral realm, Mm -hmm. like that love that you feel just your ability to love another person that could be just taking care of your dog. Like that is a loving, compassionate act. That energy is the biggest currency in the astral realm. So the second you enter into the astral, that feeling is going to guide you to that experience. And instead of seeing these monsters in this sort of like really sort of creepy way, you're Mm -hmm. going to look at them and you're going to show a lot of compassion and love for them. Yeah. You're going to be like, oh, these are obviously lower lost beings. These are obviously lower dimensional lost energies that are just trying to find their way. Yeah. And as long as you approach them with that type of mentality, one, they don't want anything to do with you because they're not ready mm-hmm. to, to have what you got. Right. And you're not going to be of any interest to them because um, light is not something that they gravitate towards. Right. You know, they only, they only sense fear that is sort of like that infrared vision that they have. Right. It's kind of like whenever you run into a snake in the wild, like they're just as scared of you as you are of them. You know, they don't, they're not trying to mess with you. Yeah. Mind you though. I mean, I don't blame some people because uh, some people, I mean, especially these authors, when they try and describe what these beings look like, they don't look very good. Yeah. They look like some of the most grotesque things that you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the one thing that's really, really important to remember about the astral realm is it isn't that these things were just intrinsically grotesque. Cause I don't think that God creates, you know, anything with the, the, the goal of scaring the shit out of you. Right. What the reason why I feel like beings, uh, look a certain way that happens to be kind of menacing and grotesque is because uh, that fourth dimensional realm contains all the different darker sides of humanity. So, you know, we've created things like horror movies and we've created all these different sort of grotesque scenarios in our waking life and they register in this realm as a sort of image. So when we enter into the astral realm, we see these beings 
what we're really seeing is just a product of our own conditioning, mm. right? We identify it with creepy because that's what we've been born to identify as being creepy. Right. But, you know, and I've thought about this too. When you sit down, like, even with like a, something that seems unsettling to look at, you ever think of like, why is it that people find something like that creepy? Mm. You ever thought, like I read this study one time, um, I'm going to preface something at four. It's like when we see an image that is unsettling, maybe um, it could be like a horror movie or something like that. First instinct for most people is they get scared. Like they don't want to see that. Right. But why is it that they feel that? Well, the body and the mind and the spirit have this, this longing and yearning for symmetry. Mm-hmm. We, we identify symmetry as being healthy, Right. Right. Like there's this, this, this sort of inherent way that we look at another human being and that we know that they're healthy. Mm-hmm. So when we see those shapes out of order, when we see like, you know, the complete opposite of that, we identify that with sickness. Yeah. Right. So that, that makes sense. So, that makes perfect sense. Right. Uh, there was some, some, uh, I think it was on the history channel or something, some study that they did and they would um, put two photos of the same person um, side by side yeah. and in the second photo, they would like just slightly change the mm-hmm. features of that person. Yeah. And then they would ask you like, which photo do you think is more beautiful? Yeah. And people would always pick the photo where the person's face was per- perfectly symmetrical rather yeah. than with the small variations. Yeah. And I mean, really slight stuff, but it, when they're side by side, you can really notice that there is a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, if you're, you're operating from the, the most purest form of awareness, you would see the same person in both photos. Right. So I feel like, um, and I've seen video uh, movies. Um, it was actually a show. I can't remember what it was actually like, um, a show that I saw on, on Netflix where they were trying to do these studies off of like, you know, why somebody was more compelled to vote for this person and opposed to another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they showed them just two examples of the same, of two different faces. And they always gravitated towards the one that was more pleasing. Uh-huh. Right. Interesting. I, I think the examples that they used were when it came to committing crimes. Ah, uh-huh. right. Okay. How, how they, how um, we prosecute different people. So yeah. basically, Ted Bundy. I mean, yeah, yeah. So basically what happened was like, there was uh, one man that, um, you know, was, uh, uh, he had gotten arrested for, you know, like to say shooting somebody. Mm-hmm. And then there was another man and one happened to be Caucasian, the other one happened to be black. And then they did this sort of uh, blind study where they had a group of people come in and they told him the case. And then they said, well, how much time do you think that this person should get in prison? Right. So one group said this amount of time and the other group said this amount of time. And obviously the minority got more time. Wow, and really? it just shows you That's sad. like how deeply ingrained the conditioning that yeah. we have in our culture, which sadly is it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that the people that aesthetically look more pleasing to the eye get more of the attention. They get, mm-hmm. get more of that, that pass for doing um, shitty things. Yeah, that sucks. You know? That sucks. Yeah, yeah. But the... The Akashic Records. Yeah, we'll get back to the list. So there's, yeah. um, we'll go over it um, pretty quickly for anyone that wants to know how to access them. Yeah. So, um, so the first tip is to s- decide what you want to know. Are you just browsing? Um, what exactly are you doing? So you want to um, confirm the existence of the Akashic Records, or do you just want to? see what's in there. Like, do you just yeah. want to see if it's real? You yeah. know, so you want to know what's in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Show me what's in the box. <laughs> so that was the first one. Um, the second one was to have a, do you have a specific question? So, mm. um, and think about like clarifying that question, you yeah. know, if your question is, you know, do I have any past lives that I need to heal? Maybe yeah. like look into that a little bit deeper because mm-hmm. we all have past lives we need to heal. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and hone in and have more of a specific question because the more specific you are, um, the more tailored your answer. Yeah. It's interesting that we're talking about this. I mean, it's always good to have an intention, but, and I think that we were talking about this before the podcast about how that sort of, and I think this is the reason why I brought up Emanuel Swedenborg, because he has this thing called the law of correspondence where everything in the spiritual realm manifests itself a certain way in the physical realm. And this mm-hmm. is exactly the reason why I brought up Emanuel Swedenborg is because the internet, like the human being is always trying to recreate the information that it's being fed through this sort of spiritual realm. Right. I feel like on some level, on some sort of 
zero point subatomic level, me and you are, every single person is always has their footing in the Akashic records, Mm -hmm. right? So even subconsciously, everything that we create, just like you said, everything that we invent is coming from this sort of data sphere of information. Right. So I liken it to the internet, Mm -hmm. right? Because um, no one has ever seen the cloud before. Right. Right. We don't know where all this information flying above and a bunch of millions and tiny little pieces, like we don't ever see it. We only see the information that we get being fed through this computer or these search engines. But Mm -hmm. I was watching, watched this talk by um, Deepak Chopper and he likens the Akashic records to the internet because it contains pretty much, you want to know how society is doing as a whole. I mean, it contains everything, everything, literally everything that we've ever thought, everything that we've ever come up with, any conversation that we've ever had, the internet has all of it. Yeah. You know, and going into our, maybe that, that Google search bar where we're going in and we're entering that question is the same thing as going into it through meditation, making an intention to try and get a certain type of information back. Right. Yeah. You know? So it, it, it the like, reason it's crazy to me because we, the internet just to, to us has always just been around, mm-hmm. but it's, it's always boggles my mind and it gives me this, this huge amount of appreciation for life because somehow we came from, you know, a forest to a computer. Right. You know Whoa. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like where does How do that we get there? <laughs> influence come from? Right. Like there has to be a different type of intelligence that's working mm-hmm. either intrinsically through us or maybe in assistance with aliens. But the fact that we've gotten to the computer and now we're at a place where this entirely different dimension exists that a lot of people mistaken as being reality. Mm -hmm. And that just, you know, coexists with us. Right. You know, it's just that, that, that that fractal way that life just sort of goes. Eventually we're just going to continuously create these sort of fractal type of lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We were, um, when we were talking about this earlier, I was thinking about Wi-Fi or radio you know, like you're cruising down the road and the radio waves are in the air and you can pick up radio in your car anywhere, just about, yeah. you know, so radio, Wi-Fi, And then I thought about magnets. I don't know why, but you know, whenever it goes together, with yeah, it. whenever you try to stick them together and then they'll like repel each other and then yeah. they'll flip over and attach yeah. each other. Like, Whoa, yeah, it's like two, two lovers. Yeah. You know, that we can kind of liken it to the conversation we had the other day about like, whenever you have masculine feminine energy, there's this sort of attraction, but whenever mm-hmm. there's too much of masculine, it's like too much of the positive and then the magnet repels it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it, it kind of like needs, needs that balance. And then our, our, our minds, our brains are exactly like these antennas. I mean, we, we forget that we have electricity shooting through our brains Yeah, that are sending information to all these different neurons. And it's just about tapping into the right frequency, whether it be happiness or whether it be sadness or the Akashic records, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So the, um, we'll get to the last two. Um, so one of the other tips was to use whatever meditation practice you prefer and, um, enter that relaxed open state and then give yourself some time to let your energy settle in and center. And then of course, to ask to be allowed to access the records, have your question prepared and then, um, stay in an open receptive state because uh, can I enter? Yeah. (laughs) So that's, I, I actually did an Akashic meditation, um, yesterday, so I could share the experience, you know, if something happened, nothing happened, I didn't get any information. Yeah. Um, but don't give up after the first try because it typically, typically takes a couple of tries um, before you get um, get information. And that was the last tip. Imagine if you you got into and you got to like the door and you're like, who is that? You, he was like, oh, can I enter into the cash records? And he was like, what's the password? <laughs> I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He's like, what's the password? <laughs> That would be so funny. Yeah, that would be funny. So, um, so the last tip was if you, if you go and, um, you don't get any information, uh, to write down any kind of visions that you did have or any kind of memories that you had during your meditation, because that may have been a download of information that may not make sense now, but later when you try again, it may all come together. Yeah. It's like what Sadaf said. There's no such thing as an experience like that void of meaning. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just in, in the same thing when it comes to dream recall, you know, like 
a lot of people go through this thing when it comes to astral projection or, or lucid dreaming where it's like they get frustrated at a certain point because they're not, they're not, you know, flying through the sky around the Eiffel Tower and like France in like one night. But it just, right. it takes time to develop that type of muscle. Right. You know, and if you want to go even deeper, it even can get down to the diet that you have. What holds your body down in, mm-hmm. in sleep? You know, I think there are really, really, really important things to, to note about, you know, the people that don't eat before they go to bed. Yeah. You know, like you, you, the same reason why when you do ayahuasca ceremonies, like they tell you to like fast or you have a very, very strict diet for like a week or two prior to having that experience. Like your whole yeah. body needs to be prepared for something like that. But, you know, your third eye is a muscle just like anything else. And all you have to do is practice. So for me, it's like when you wake up, write those dreams down. The second I started writing them down, I started just being able to recall these memories. Right. Yeah. I need to start keeping a dream dictionary. I've been having a lot of dreams lately. Yeah. Some weird shit too. Really? Like what? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Nothing I want to get into. <laughs> yeah. You're like yeah. running around the streets in an animal onesie. Yeah. No, that's real life. Real life? Yeah. No. Oh, man. I haven't ran around the streets in an animal onesie in a while. You would, uh, you, you would, you would, I would be, be right that, now if I was at Burning Man. Man. That's I true. Know. Gosh, what a bummer. I know. I, I actually went on, um, there have been friends that I know of that have been frequenting Burning Man for a long time. They've actually even done events there at certain camps. They have this thing going on right now um, that is like a virtual yeah, Burning so, Man. Yes. Um, so virtual Burning Man started and we got an Oculus so we could check it out. So you can try it? Yeah. That's so what I'm saying. You have to have that in order to experience it. Yeah. I've only, I, I've been in that environment once because back when uh, there's this place called Wisdom in LA, you've been there. Yeah, I love that place. For the people that are listening, it's this 360 dome that was down in the arts district. And um, a part of the experience was they had VR headsets that people can kind of futz around with. And uh, one time I put on the Oculus and they had that sort of Burning Man environment. Yeah, the graphics have really step their game up. Really? I mean, it is really, really good. I was really impressed Wow. So yeah, with the changes just in that was what last year, year before last, whenever we went to wisdom, whenever yeah. you were doing your sound bath there. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, when you put on the Oculus and you were going through this environment, what was it like? It was, um, so I didn't do the burning man environment yet. I just did some of the Oculus stuff that they had on there. Cause there's yeah. different apps. It's just like, yeah. um, like anything else where you can download apps and access, mm-hmm. you know, their, virtual stuff. Um, and pretty incredible. I mean, pretty amazing. The graphics are a lot more clear Mm -hmm. and, um, very submersive. Mm -hmm. They even have some like cool meditation, um, like nature scenes and, you know, total psychedelic fractal places where you feel like you're inside the fractal. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, I know a a fellow named Torkum G is actually a fellow sound healer and he, uh, does a lot of work with, uh, I think it's DP programmers and Michael Strauss. And they're mm-hmm. the ones that do a lot of those events at Wisdom that involves a lot of those like 360, like mm-hmm. 3D mapping type of experiences. Yeah. Um, I saw him actually messing around with uh, some VR program and he created an actual, I think it was like an, an old sort of Armenian temple Ooh. that apparently like, I, I'm guessing this is what he's going to do is you 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 take that design and you somehow connect with the people that do this burning man environment. He can probably showcase that in that environment. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And apparently you can go into like burning man has different art installations and people just go cruise around and check them out. And then there's, you know, just a million places to hang out and connect with people. Yeah. So I guess up to, it's like up to a million people can be in one of these experiences at one time. So mm-hmm. whenever you're in that experience, you're in that experience with like a million other people, which is so cool. Did you see a lot of people when you were in it? Um, so I haven't done the Burning Man one yet. It started on um, Sunday. So uh-huh. I haven't had a chance to go down there and check it out. But and you have, do you have to pay to go into that environment? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think, mm, I don't know. And I'm not I wonder, sure. I have so many questions only because I'm interested. You have in to ask Jeremy. I'm interested He's in the like technology. The techie. Yeah. Um, it's like, what do you do when you got to walk around? Like, am I going to end up like bumping into someone down the street um, with like a headset on? Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> you, so the headset that we have has um, like joystick controllers. Oh, I see. So you're not actually walking forward like the old way because people are getting hurt. You know, running into stuff and tripping over things. Mm -hmm. Because when you have that headset on, you feel like you're really 
in whatever environment it is that you're looking at. And it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. Like I went to, uh, I forget the name of, I think I keep thinking like dream works, but it's this, um, VR place in LA mm-hmm. and they had this one, um, that was based off of, uh, I guess a, a Pixar movie about dragons. Mm-hmm. And you walk into this place, they give you the headset and you get onto this sort of like, almost looks like a little tricycle type of thing. Mm-hmm. And you have the sensors in your hand and on your face. And then like, it literally felt so like you were real. on a dragon. It felt so real that I had trouble distinguishing reality. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. Very, very amazing experience. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So if you guys end up going into that burning out environment, you should. Um, I'll let you know. Yeah. I'll let you know how it yeah. is. Like it, pitch, a, pitch, yeah. a, pitch a tent in your living room. Yeah, you, you know? should try it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have an Oculus, but. Well, you know. we have one. You can use ours. Okay. Yeah. Would, go check it out. I would try that out. Yeah. Imagine if that's where we're going now. Oh God, I hope not. You know what I'm saying? No, I need gonna... human connection. I need the smell of the sweat and yeah. the dirt in my eyes. I, I need, agree. I need that. You don't want to ever get down to that conversation where it's like, oh, are you going to go to the the Porter, Porter show? And your friend's like, I would, but my Oculus is broken. No. 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 I hope that never happens. I don't think it will. I don't think it will. We'll send out good vibes. Yeah, we yeah. will. We'll he- find a way. Actually, um, so, you know, comedy, I feel like, is one of uh, one thing that's been really, really impacted by the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of those people, you know, of course, made their income by going to places like the comedy show and stuff like that. But they don't have any places for them to do their work. So now what they're actually doing is they're doing these sort of outside events in their homes, like in their yards. Mm-hmm. So that's what I feel like is going to happen is like people are just going to start doing events outside. Yeah. I mean, we listen to comedy a lot whenever we're doing road trips. Yeah. We'll just get on and listen to like, you know, recordings of different stand-up comics. Yeah. So maybe that'll be an extra revenue stream where you just pay for downloads to yeah. listen to comedy shows. Yeah. Or they're, they're starting to book drive-in theaters. Yeah. Oh, that'd be know? cool. Yeah, like a driving. Bringing theater. it back. Yeah, there was one thing that they tried, and actually Joe Rogan was talking about. Kind of was it was kind of weird, where it's like you have a comic inside of an actual um, like comedy theater, but it, he was the only one, like the only person that's in there is the person that's doing the show. Yeah, and then there are a bunch of screens of people that Zoom call in to see it. Oh, okay. So it's like you can see the faces. Yeah. In these screens, obviously the energy isn't the same. Yeah. It's the same thing that they're doing with, you know, sports now, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure uh, yeah. you see it. Jeremy watches the sports. Like I had a, my brother-in-law watches, um, I caught him watching a basketball game and you, <laughs> you, you caught see, him watching a basketball game. It sounds yeah. so naughty. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, I caught him, I caught game. you. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's no audience there. All there are, are these screens of people that dial into this feed online. Yeah. And you just see these little faces of people in their living room is watching basketball yeah he's obsessed yeah. he's watching basketball all the time now yeah yeah some people just really love it i'm just not a sports person yeah i'm not a sports person either <laughs> yeah. i'm more of a podcaster yeah more of a podcast more person a me podcast too i'm more person. of a book reader more of a book reader how is that joe dispenza book by the way oh it's really good yeah, yeah it's really good um i'm almost done so yeah, I'll, let me I'll know let how you know. it goes when you when you finish it up yeah for sure. Yeah, but I think that we have a better understanding of how to get to the Akashic Records. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground tonight. Yeah, I feel like I occupied my space with those um, different things that I can do in order to get there. So I feel like it may happen tonight, Jen. Yeah. I'm feeling lucky. Check it out. Check Let me know. I tried. Yeah. I, I got nowhere. So I'm see what's I'll there. try again. Yeah, I'll try it out. We'll report back next week. Okay. We'll try it out. Sounds good. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to stay up to date on our most recent episodes definitely like and subscribe you can find us on apple podcasts spotify and you can actually go directly to our website at www.divine-nobodies.com we're also on youtube if you're more of a visual person and you want to watch the podcast we have it available there too and uh, i think that's that's it right i think we kind of covered it and we also have uh a guest in next week. Her name is Tyler Victoria. She's a tarot card reader. That's going to be pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Yeah. yeah. She has a really, really amazing story. So stay tuned for that. And uh, until then, I'm going to stay friends. Namaste.